Oh, just a moment, we're going to come before the Lord in prayer. Um, but if there uh, is any child that would like to go to a very special time of, of worship with other children, you are welcome to do that. They're welcome to stay here as well. But if you would like to join other children, your teachers will meet you in the back of the sanctuary. Even as they're moving, let's come before the Lord in prayer, shall we? Oh God, what comforting words. Our worship team reminded us of, Lord, you give life. You are love. You bring light even in the midst of our darkness. And God, I praise you that you give hope that what we are and what we're experiencing is not what will be. God, like the people of Israel that Malachi spoke to, like the people Jesus spoke to, like the ones John's revealed that beautific vision, God, of, of heaven and revelation. God, one day we will just stand before you in glory where there is no tear, where there is no broken heart, where there is no fear, God. There's no fear of the future because you who were and are and will be will be all and be in all. So God, I just pray as we gather here today that you would wash over us where there is heartache and pain. God, we pray that you would bring peace. And we lift up Jane to you, God, and we just just ask that you would be her husband, even as your word promises, God. As she entrusts her her lover and her friend to you, God, I pray that you would fill that void and she would know your presence today, especially. God, for others who have experienced tremendous loss in these last days and weeks, just pray that, that you would fill that void in our lives, God, and allow us to experience life and light and love. But God, I thank you also that you invite us to partner with you, to, to join with one another in concerns of our hearts. And we think of... We think of um, those going through great trials right now. We think of little Chandler. And we just, we just pray, God, that you would protect her, that you would um, miraculously and sovereignly allow her, her full um, growth process to continue. That, that soon, Lord, she'd be able to leave that NICU and come home to her family and friends, God, that she could, uh, that she could know nothing but their love. In their presence all the days of her life. And God, we thank you for those miracles. I thank you for the miracle of, of Leo, God, that you have given uh, us yet another little reminder of how faithful you are. God, even seeing this little seven-pound miracle, uh, I'm reminded, God, that not all miracles are physical like this, that that you are birthing spiritual children on a constant basis. And it's just as miraculous. It's, God, it's just as unique. Each one, a sovereign child of God. And the fact that you would invite us, God, to be a partner with you in the transformation of a life from death to life, from, from no spirit to spirit filled to God that you would invite us to join you, and that is such a great privilege. Grant us God's moments where 
where we can be still and know that you are God. Grant us moments where we can leave behind all those distractions that keep us from hearing your voice, those distractions that keep us from thinking deeply about what you have already revealed. And then, God, as we meet you in that quiet place, speak to us about your purposes for us. Now do that now. God, would you, through your word and through our prayers, through, through our songs, God of worship, through every aspect of our life together, reveal your purpose for us. And God, I just thank you that we can come to you like children. We can crawl up into our papa's lap and know that we're safe. Know that we're loved. Know that we have an amazing future, an amazing eternity in store. And God, thank you for meeting us here. Together today, we just offer to you that precious prayer that Jesus taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Hear the word of God, would you, from Psalm 34, our, our psalm for today, Psalm 34. As you're turning there or flipping there on your phone, I just, um, I just want to remind you again, what a privilege it is to, to encounter the psalms on a daily basis. My college roommates and I are, uh, in the late one, 20s right now, um, studying uh, a psalm a day, and you should just see the dialogue that happens on, on, uh, on the text messages as um, God's word uh, touches each one of our lives, and we share that together. But here, this this amazing passage, would you, from the Psalm of David, from Psalm 34, beginning at verse one, and we'll read to verse eight here. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Yes, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So taste, would you? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, blessed is the child who takes refuge in him. The very word of God. Mm, 
Thank you, Jesus. Turn with me now to our New Testament lesson, would you? Some of you uh, last week got a little ahead of the game in in your small groups, and that's all right. We're going to go back and look at the tail end of that John 4 story where Jesus encountered the woman at the well. While you're turning there, oh, my goodness, uh, what a privilege to spend another week in that and just to see so many I, I was counting for a while. I, I think I gave up after eight or nine. Just amazing surprises in that interaction with the woman at the well. And then uh, we'll, we'll remind ourselves a couple of those. And then today especially, we're going to look a little further and say, he wasn't just doing that for the people of Sychar. He wasn't just just bringing living water for the woman. He was also teaching his disciples something. And so we're going to pick up the story there today. We're going to pick it up right around verse 27, a little earlier than I think is in the bulletin, but around verse 27. Um, now again, the woman uh, has has discovered that Jesus is the Messiah and she's, and she's overwhelmed with that truth. And right as Jesus was speaking to her, right after he said, I am the one who's speaking to you, uh, clearly identifying himself with the name of God, I am, or Yahweh, I am who speak to you and he. Just then, in verse 27, his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. So some of those surprises we saw last week, they marveled at them. This is different, right? I love uh, the chosen's statement. Jesus says, get used to different, right? Get used to different. This is This is different. But but John says, no one said, what do you seek? No one said, what do you seek? Isn't that kind of an interesting thing? No one said to Jesus, what do you seek? What's going on there, right? Um, very possibly, very possibly, they were expecting Jesus to say, help me. You know, get rid of her, right? This, this is a Samaritan woman of ill repute talking with the rabbi, and they're assuming that she took the initiative, Right? And they don't realize that Jesus took the initiative, right? They're expecting Jesus to say, do something here, right? Um, but something about the way that he was interacting with them made him stop. Made him not ask that question, right? Or, 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 or the question, why are you talking with her? That was foremost in their mind. What are you thinking? Your reputation just went down the drain, Jesus. What are you thinking, right? But no one asked. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. We talked about this last week, but isn't that amazing? So all the people know all that she ever did, right? Um, and, and now she's saying, there's a man who knows all that and still loves me, right? Still speaks to me, still relates to me as a human being. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Christ? And they, the people of the town, went out of the town and were coming to him. I don't think we talked about this last week, but but the distance from that town to the well, there's ruins even there today of the town of Sychar. And it's somewhere between 300 yards and a mile, probably depending on where you were in the town. Um... Uh, not very far distance, so you could see probably the town from the well, right? And 
And just then they went out of the town and were coming to Jesus. But meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, Edie, you might remember that Jesus sent them into Sychar. He sent 12-plus Jewish people into uh, a Samaritan town to buy food. They had a need. He sent them with a need into the into the nest of their enemies, the nest of their rivals, the, the, the place where the, the last place in the world they'd want to go, right? And he sent them with a need, and somehow they've purchased food and made their way back and were probably very concerned for Jesus. Again, this was a long walk. So he said, Rabbi, eat. And ever surprising Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Now, um, in my house, that's often true of me for a different reason. I stash food in in different places. And periodically, periodically, um, someone finds my stash, right? It's usually right there beside my uh, recliner. And um, I was up visiting my grandson and... Um, and all of a sudden, some of my stash showed up, and Karen gave some of my stash to to Chelsea girl, um, Butterfinger bars. I know that's in many countries that's a crime, and and, uh, and and I thought those look familiar. And she goes, "I found your stash, right? I found your stash." Um, many people have food to eat, but that's not what Jesus was talking about with it. He wasn't talking about physical food at all. And as much as as I crave that physical food, um, there's something more satisfying, Jesus is saying, right? I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And, and, And Jesus revealed this powerful truth. My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Wow. Wow. Then he changes the metaphor now from food to harvest. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? We, we plant and we, we, we sow seed and then we wait four months, right? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. One of our Sunday school classes was exploring this last, last week in a, in a, in a hot culture, most of the people would wear light clothing, right? So when you see people pouring out of the town of Sychar, less than a mile away, and coming toward Jesus, it looks like a field white for harvest, right? But not of wheat, of souls, of people, right? The fields, Jesus said, are white for harvest. And then he gives us yet another astounding truth. Remember the four months between sowing and reaping? Already the one who reaps is receiving wages. It's already happening. The harvest is already happening. And they're gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Some versions say come together, right? Come together. For here this saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. 
Jesus, and he's saying, using past tense, he says, I sent you to reap for which you did not labor. When did you, the only place you sent us, Jesus, was into that Samaritan village, right? Surely you couldn't mean, oh, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into that labor. Jesus went on to stay there for two days and impart truths to them. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it never returns to you void, God, but it accomplishes, as your word says in Isaiah 55, it accomplishes the purpose for which you intend to do that again. Would you speak, God, for your servants are listening. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, you are welcome to follow along if you would in notes. This is going to be a little bit um, practical today. Um, and I think I think if you hear a bias in my voice toward the practical today, it's it's because many of us know these truths already. Our our problem is not that we don't know truths. Our problem is that we don't put them into practice, right? And so we want to just kind of push ourselves uh, um, from our heads to our hearts, and from our hearts to our hands. We want we want God's word to be living and active and transforming us, but then we want to put it into practice as well. So, so what have we been studying in this study of John chapter four? We've been, we've been seeing that Jesus has been talking to the woman about a different kind of water. Do you remember that last week? He's talking about living water. In other words, not cistern water, but living water. Cistern water, if I can push the analogy a little bit, is water that we have labored to store up, right? They're wise people. In a desert environment, they dug cisterns and they channeled the water when it did rain into those cisterns. But over months and even even three quarters of a year, that that water would become rancid, right? And so to offer someone uh, living water, either running water or spring water, was a great opportunity. And the woman was all over it, said, give me some of this. And Jesus said, well, man, it'll well up inside you. Give it to me. I don't want to come out here every day. Um, let me have some of this living water. It's not in your notes, but it's kind of the difference between human and spirit-led activity, right? Um, we can do things. We can build cisterns, and and there's a wisdom in that. But but when the spirit does something, it becomes a well within you, welling up within you, right? So last week we saw this difference between between cistern and living water. Today he's kind of pushing that analogy and saying there's a different kind of food as well. Remember the, the disciples came back and they urged him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food that you don't know about, right? What was that? It was it was food that, that was a different source of strength, right? The purpose of food, and, and if, if, if any of you, uh, are vulnerable this way, you know that just even a, a moment's uh, uh, a piece of candy, if you're if you're borderline diabetic, or or if you're running a race and one little squirt of 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 the the 
electrolytes just gives you all that energy all of a sudden. It's a different kind of source of strength. What is this different thing? This thing other than food that gives us strength. Jesus says, doing the will of God. Doing the will of God is nourishing. And and just, if you need a front row seat, just look at this woman, right? Look at this woman, the, the change in her life, the change in her posture, the change in her emotions from, from when she came to the well and when she left the well. What changed? She didn't, she didn't eat anything, right? She didn't drink anything. What changed was, was that she had discovered the will of God for her life and she engaged in it. And it changed everything. But don't miss, don't miss the second thing here. He also said, and accomplishing his work. Why am I camping on that? Let me just ask you, beloved. Um, is God's will accomplished on earth yet? Uh, is it? Um, I don't think so, Right? The vision that we've seen, even today, in our scriptures, is that fulfilled yet? No. No, there's, there's still work to be done, right? There's, God's will is not complete yet. And, and, and so there's work to be done. Doing His will is nourishing, but so is accomplishing His work. Jesus, at the end of His life, was able to say, it is finished. Why? Was that because we were already in Revelation and everything was being accomplished? No, because He did everything that God asked Him to do, right? Then he entrusted that mission to us. He, he entrusted the purposes of God to us. So, so this different kind of food means a different source of strength. Now our strength is going to come from doing God's will and accomplishing his work, but it also means a different role to play. And, and, and we recognize in this analogy that he's using that some are called to prepare the soil. Some people will never leave their hospital beds or or their their rooms. I, I get to minister to some people in nursing homes every week, and 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 most of them will never leave that nursing home. But they can be incredibly uh, effective for the kingdom of God, right? And and to watch them catch a vision for that is so exciting, right? Um, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do things that I once was able to do, but maybe, just maybe, I can be more effective. Now, the way that I am, the place that I am, than I ever thought possible. Some people's job is to prepare the soil. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks, what you can do to prepare the soil. Some people's job is to actually plant the seeds of gospel, right? To plant the seeds and and, and to, to say the words and to do the actions which make someone say, there might be something to this gospel that I'm hearing about, right? Still others are called, they might not have planted a seed, but they, they walk alongside someone for a season and, and they cultivate it. Hey, how's things going? What's God doing in your life? Where have you seen God today, right? They cultivate the seed that has been planted. It hasn't yet borne fruit, right? It's going to bear fruit 30, 60, 100 full, but it hasn't yet borne fruit, but, but they're cultivating it knowing that one day that fruit will come. And then some, some get this immense privilege of being there when the harvest happens, when people are transformed. It's not just that initial commitment to faith, right? Our goal is not just to 
to get someone to pray a prayer. Our goal was to make fully devoted followers of people of Jesus Christ, right? To make disciples who make disciples. And some of us get to be there sometimes at different seasons. So, so it's a different role to play. And sometimes it's a different role for the same person at different times. But I want you to know right here, it's not about the role, right? It's not about the role. We'll do anything if it can advance the kingdom of God. It's about the harvest. It's about the harvest. So not only was Jesus talking about a different kind of water and a different kind of food, but he's talking about a different kind of harvest. And and we need to to reorient our thinking, right? He gives us three, at least, surprising revelations, right? The business of the kingdom, the first one, is is about harvesting people, about harvesting souls, right? It's about harvesting souls. Remember how when, when he encountered Peter, he says, no longer are you going to fish for fish, right? You're going to be a fisherman of people, right? Um, he's doing the same thing here. Um, it's a different kind of harvest, but it's a, it's a harvest of souls. And I say souls versus people because, because souls, beloved, are eternal, right? Every soul is eternal. And our goal is to move a soul from death to life so that their eternity is in the presence of Jesus. So his first surprising revelation is that the business of the kingdom is about souls, right? Not about physical food, not about um, all the distractions that she threw up. Do you remember them, right? Um, gender, she threw up, right? What are you talking to me, a woman? Um, a religion, yeah, uh, she threw up the Samaritan Jewish thing, right? Where you worship, in a temple, she threw up that. It's not about all those things. It's about harvesting souls for the kingdom of God. But secondly, the fields, Jesus says, are ready for the harvest. The time is now. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to do 14 lessons of this or have 10 points of that. The harvest is ready right now. And remember what they're doing. This is the miracle of Jesus. Why did he take them all the way up there? Because he wanted to plant in their in their minds a vision of the harvest. And, and they're looking at it. I don't know how many people were in Sychar, but maybe hundreds of people making their way toward them. Um, wow. The, the, there's a harvest of souls and the fields are ready right now, right? Somebody else? Somebody else cultivated, somebody else prepared the soil. Very possibly, the, this place where they are is only well, probably less than 10 miles from the place where John the Baptist was baptizing people. Very likely some of John's disciples had, had risked going in there. Certainly the woman had, right? The woman went back there. Oh my goodness, we, we'll go there another time. But, but don't ever get confused. <laughs> don't ever say, uh, God could not use me because I am a woman, right? Um, wow. This is, this is like a primer on how God uses anyone to proclaim his message. And if you have any doubts, then read again the resurrection story, who Jesus entrusted with the precious news of the resurrection. So let's get beyond all the distractions, right? Let's get to the business of souls. Do not say there are yet four months, then come the harvest. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the harvest is now. But here's the crazy thing, too. Another surprising revelation of Jesus is that the harvest might be in a different field than you thought, right? The last place in the world 
that the disciples might have thought there would be a harvest would be in Samaria, the place of their enemy rivals, right? This is the very first time that the gospel now has gone out beyond the Jewish nation. I would just remind you again of Acts 1.8, right? You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, right? It's happening. It's happening. Other people will come along behind them. Um, in, in Acts 8, you just see amazing, amazing revelation to the, to the Gentiles of Samaria. But, but the gospel is going out in the least expected fields. So it might be different for you as well. You might have prepared all your life for ministry in this field. And then God says, boom, this is going to be your most effective season of life. This is going to be where you labor. So let's ask ourselves that question. Where are we called to labor? Where are we called to labor? Um, It's a cliche, but I, I think it's a useful one. Think global, but work local, right? So this, this vision extends to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and uh, as you'll see in just a moment, uh, uh, it's so exciting to be able to participate in that. But everyone can start right where you are. In a couple of weeks, we'll talk about right with our families, starting with our families. But, but I want you to think right now, starting in the place where God has put you. Think local, right? I want to think just for a second about the extent of this gospel. I want to look first at the world and then at our five-county area. And then I want to think about all of that just for a second here, if we could. A quick glance at the world. It's going to go by really fast. I apologize. But the population, uh, in our notes from a year ago, I can't see where Kristen is. She's in the back back there. In our notes for for a retreat a year ago, two years ago now, um, the population of the world has increased by 400 million people. The population of the earth is 7.84 billion people right now. I wish I had more time to explore what a billion is, but it's much more than you can imagine, right? Um, Christian population is 2.5 billion right now. And, and that's not insignificant. Praise God, amen? Praise God that the largest single population is those who proclaim to be Christians, Right? Uh, proclaim to be Christians. That is that is worthy of celebration. That is unimaginable in Sychar in the first century, right? That is unimaginable. And and yet it is. But here's the bad news, right? That means there's an unbelieving population of 5.3 billion people at least, right? And one of the crazy things is that 90%, excuse me, 96% of people who say, I want to make a difference, go to the people that are already reached. I want to make a difference in Daytona Beach, personally, right? Um, why? Because it's a beach, right? <laughs> and it's Daytona. Um, but is that where the greatest need is? I don't know if you remember, but one time we did an illustration right here in the sanctuary, in our oldest sanctuary, and I had three people lifting me up by the shoulders and one person lifting me up by the feet, Right? And, and, and I asked someone in the congregation, if you were going to join this lifting up experience, where would you go? Right? And they thought about it for a second. They said, well, I'll go to the feet, right? Why? Because there's nobody else there. There's nobody else there, right? 
That's where the need is. So, so in the global thing, there's, there's incredible points of celebration, but there's incredible points of challenge. By the way, 1% of the people that engage in ministry, missionaries and otherwise, go to unreached populations. 1%. And, and that is somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 million people who never even had an opportunity, not necessarily heard, never even had an opportunity to hear. Thank you for sticking with me through all these statistics, but sometimes they're helpful and, and there are a lot of engineers in the room who are, the, who are numbers people. How about, how about our five county area? And I'm counting now, I'm counting Vanderburg and Warwick and Posey and Gibson and Henderson. Crossing that money saving bridge, right? Henderson as well, right? That's roughly 350,000 people. A professing population, about 245,000 of them would profess to be of the Christian faith. But the reproducing population, people that are actually doing what Jesus asked, probably closer to 35,000 people. One-tenth of the population, right? This is not, this is not true. To rebuke you or to judge you. this is or me this is this is to invite you into the harvest the fields are white for harvest right how do you tell if someone is alive well, at some point they're able to reproduce right and oh what a joy it is to hold a, a seven pound well i got got him about three days old when i first was able to hold him by the way, I almost threw him in the air because I've been carrying my other heavy children, right? So you pick up the baby, go, whoops, you know, seven pounds is a little lighter. But, but what a joy. This perfect little child. Perfect little child. Um, what a joy to see someone who is dead come to life again. Someone who is broken, healed. Someone Someone who is thirsty, satisfied, right? What a joy. God's inviting us into that population as well. Well, how are we? There's, there are myriad ways that we're going to do that. Each, God, each one of us is unique, and God has given each of you a special role to play in that purpose. But how are we going to do that? We as a, as a church, one of the ways that we're doing that is by, by um, adopting the school across the street, right? And... Uh, Right at the time we moved, that's the reason we moved to this location was because it's right across the street from Vogel School. It's more than just a school. The school represents um, all the population that feed that school, right? And and I couldn't find the number fast enough today, but it's but it's it's probably in the in the eight or ten thousand people range, right? I'm just guessing, but that's probably in that range. But but we're going to start with that with that school, right? And God is opening doors. Oh my goodness! Um, this last week has been just a joy. As as not only were we able to make contact with with I was about to say principal players, including the principal of a school, but we just found out how desperate they are. They're asking us to come and serve them. And, 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 and they're saying, you know, we can't do certain things, but you can. We can't pray, but you can publicly. We can't, we can't shepherd, uh, uh, elementary aged girls and, and, and teach them how precious and beloved, but you can, right? 
we can't, we can't, um, uh, disciple, uh, fifth and sixth grade boys, right? But you can. I hear that so many times. Right across the street. They're hungry. There's, there's myriad ways that we involve. You'll hear about them. You'll actually see things. I really want to encourage you that, that there, there is an important role that you'll play in things that, that we have no knowledge of. It'll be awesome to see God use you. But, but together we can do some pretty cool things too. There's a we in there too. And we have a purpose in this location. I'm going to get off this here. Real quick, um, Vogel has 400 plus families. It might be in the notes, but 600 plus kids. All the teachers that, that taught at Vogel over the last years, we have a couple in our congregation. They, um, they said, 600? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what an opportunity, right? And, and you see a couple of those opportunities right in your bulletin today. We're going to do some initial contact work, even this, this Halloween. When people are looking for places to go, we're going to do some initial contact work. But it's so much more than that. So I want to change the question just slightly. The question for you was, where are we called to labor? And, and just invite you to ask God. And many of you know this, so don't, don't feel guilty. If you have found that place, your sweet spot, and you're, you're serving Jesus there, God bless you. Keep doing what you're doing. But if, if, if you're hungering for that food that comes from doing the will of God and accomplishing his purposes instead of your own, if you're hungering for that, then ask the question, um, where, where am I called to labor? God, where do you want me to serve you? How can I do that? You're going to be surprised. It's going to be in ways and places that you never could have imagined. Get used to different, right? But it'll be good. It'll be surprising, but it'll be good. So some closing thoughts for us as we as we prepare to not end the service, but begin the service, right? As we prepare not to leave the presence of the Lord, but to enter into the presence of the Lord, the place where he has put us. Some closing thoughts. First of all, God has a big vision. We heard it in Malachi. We heard it in Revelation. We're catching it here in John chapter 4. God has a big vision. And while it's awesome that 2.5 billion people in the world call themselves Christians, we've actually lost ground year after year for the last 30 or 40 years. We've lost ground on the percentage of the world that's, that's Christian. In other words, what we're doing won't get it done. Remember, my food is to accomplish his work. And what we're doing won't get it done. But the question is not then, what what can I do? The question is much greater than this. I, I'm, I'm hearing my brother Brad Taylor. I can hear his voice because he's the first one that challenged me this way. The question is not what can I do, but what will it take, right? What will it take? Because when I ask myself the question, what can I do? I think about the minimal I can do. And the question is really, what will it take to get the gospel to every person in the Vogel neighborhood? To get the gospel, at least give them a chance to hear. We're not Jesus. We don't do miracles. We just present the gospel and let the Holy Spirit and Jesus do the work. What would it take to get them to every all those 350,000 people in our in our geographic sphere of influence here, right? What would it take 
to get the gospel to 7.8 billion people. Wow. We're talking about harvest here, right? Let me just give you a hint, and then I'll leave you. Um, The Great Commission could be fulfilled in less than 35 years. If you, if you discipled one person for the next year, and then that person discipled one person for the next year, right? It would only take 35 years. We, it's, it could sound odd, but we, it would take 28 years or so by my calculations. This is perfect. Like everything worked, right? It, um, at least for everyone to hear, um, it would happen in 28 years, right? In these five county areas. You say, well, that's awful close to 35. It's because you're doubling every time after that. It doubles really fast. So, so what will it take, beloved, to get you to feast not on Butterfinger bars hidden behind your recliner, but to feast on the will of God for your life? What will it take? Oh, my goodness. I use the word feast, and the vision that Jesus cast for that was a feast where everyone from every tribe and tongue and language that came to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Oh, we're going to get there, beloved. We're going to get there. But only if we will surrender to Jesus' purpose for our lives. Come on up, um, worship team, if you would. Come on up. Pray with me, would you? Oh, God, I think about the disciples making their way from Jerusalem into uncharted territory, into into this, it was desert, a high desert, God. And, and they were, certainly were thirsty when they got to the well and hungry. But it was but it was spiritual desert as well, God. And they must have felt so out of place. And I think about our teams that have gone to uh, Mexico, God, and felt so out of place on the day that they arrived and felt so close to you and to our Mexican brothers and sisters when they left. I think about our brothers and sisters who go to the potter's wheel and, and feel out of place in, that, in that, um, that place of hunger and thirst, and yet by the end of the day realize that you have used us and Bless other people as well. I think of those who courageously go into motorcycle clubhouses and prisons and who feel so uncomfortable when they start. But then you use them and they feel so close to you and so in love with the people that that you have called them to love when they leave. Oh, God. Help us as we pray and fast this week to capture your heart for the last and the least and the lost. Help us, God, not to fear going into that desert, but instead to rejoice. Because you always meet your people in the desert. So, God, our prayer is that that we with joy would enter into the field that you have set apart for us and that many as a result of our faithfulness, we come to know you. That's our prayer today, God. And I just, I just again, lift up all those who are crying out to you today. 
from places of brokenness and places of hunger and places of thirst. Oh, you meet us, would you, God? You satisfy our every need. We'll give you praise and glory.